Live from parts unknown, you're listening to Simon Miller's Pro Wrestling Podcast. The only wrestling podcast on the planet, we think. Sit back, relax, prepare for positivity to run through your veins as Simon Miller gives you your weekly dose of powerful pro wrestling audio. It is Miller Time. Hello and welcome to Simon Miller's Pro Wrestling Show. As you know, or maybe you don't, maybe it's the first time you've listened. If so, thank you very much for joining me. My name is Simon Miller and welcome to my Pro Wrestling Show dropping on a Sunday this week because I like to give people content. And Some people say Miller is too much content. There's no such thing. Content is king in the world of the internet. Uh, as always, uh, some promotions before we get going. Patreon.com forward slash Simon316 is where you can support all of these uh, well, everything I do, the podcast, my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash Miller Report Rules, or just search for Simon Miller. It really helps when people even put a dollar into the mix. And again, I've got all these crazy ideas I've come up with recently, but I need a bit of cash to put into equipment. So if you do have a dollar to spare, even for a few months, that would rock and roll. Uh, again, if this is the first time listening, you can go over to the Patreon and you can subscribe up to certain tiers. And one of them is to come on the podcast because I just get... Well, A, I like to give something back to people that are going to support me uh, financially too. But also, it's something I've done for a while. I just think it's really cool. And that's why this week, for the first time, making his debut all the way from across the world, it's my man Jason. Jason, how are we doing today? Hello, Simon. My goodness, Simon Miller. So nice to talk to you. And it's so nice to talk to you as well. You already paid me a compliment when we started talking before we started recording. So you're already way up in my books. It's that easy. That's how shallow I am as an individual. <laughs> now, a, a, a bit of a personal story before we, do, uh, before we do get going into the wrestling, because it was pretty cool. Uh, when Jason did subscribe to the Patreon, he told me that he's a musician and he's making songs, one of which... He used uh, an, ex- an excerpt, I guess, from one of my mental health vlogs that I'd done. And that was a crazy situation. But I'll let you explain it because you can do it better than I. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I, you know, I've been a wrestling fan for a long time. I discovered you a couple years ago, you know. And, and of course, like probably a lot of people, I found you through What Culture first. And uh, so for a while, you were just, you know, like a, a, a really funny, entertaining talking head talking about wrestling. Then I realized you're a wrestler yourself. I watched some of that. And then I discovered your your wellness kind of stuff later. Um, I, as you know already, but your fans don't know, um, I'm a two-time cancer survivor. And uh, in 2017, 2018, I was suffering with a pretty vicious uh, strain of lymphoma that I had to battle against. And uh, while I was doing that, I was laid up in the hospital for a while. I was at home a lot. I was on chemo, you know, all the yada, 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 and uh, listened to a lot of your wellness and, um, and, and blogging and podcasting about, about uh, depression and happiness and how to stay happy in the face of adversity and all that stuff. And uh, while that was going on, I was writing a bunch of songs for my new album, um, and uh, it occurred to me to use a little, a little snippet of what you had been uh, talking about on YouTube. And uh, so then I begged your permission. Actually, I think I begged forgiveness after I, I put it in the song. And uh, of course, <laughs> you, you, um, so yeah, so our album's coming out next month. Um, we're, uh, the band's called Great Highway and uh, we're, we're releasing in July. It'll be on Spotify and all the Pandora and all that nonsense. And uh, yeah, there'll be a cameo from Simon Miller on it. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, the, the whole story is amazing. I remember when you'd messaged me because um, again, it just you know, when I you can always send me a message on Patreon, and what I kind of I get to them in one bulk because uh, that's just the way I do. I like to sit down there in an afternoon and kind of read all the patrons, interact with people. Otherwise, I just kind of feel like I, I lose track, and I like to try and have a like I say a personal engagement. And then when I read yours, I I can't even begin to explain how hearing stories like that 
humble the crap out of me. Like, they really, really do. It makes me feel the size of a pea. And, like, that's just, you know, it almost makes me go, I don't know, you don't see it like this, but it also makes me go, man, Miller, you don't know what hardship is, man. Like, you. But, uh, yeah, to hear that man and to think that, and I, I've told this story before. I'm at Stone Cold Steve Austin now, repeating my stories. But, you know, when I started those vlogs, I did it. And I remember I was so tentative about pushing public because I was like, am I just going to come across like a. You know, some people, when they do that, just come across like a white knight. And I never wanted to come across like that. It was just something I, I really believe in. I'm very passionate about. So to hear stories like that, man, and I, I, I don't want to ramble on about it, but it was just, it meant a lot to me. You're a very good dude. I'm just going to say thank you very much. It's very cool of you. Oh, thank you, Simon. That that's amazing. You know, it's it, what I what I love about it is like the world is huge, but the world is so small. And these are the moments when you feel like you can sort of connect everything in your life together. If you're a, a wrestling fan, if you're a cancer survivor, if you're all these other things, you know, it, it it it's the same way I felt when I learned that like Roman Reigns had had leukemia and this was like his second bout, and he went through that whole thing. And leukemia and lymphoma are very closely connected, you know. So like his cancer and my cancer we're so similar. And it's one of those moments where you feel suddenly like the world is so small and all the people that you think of as celebrities like you, like Roman are suddenly like so close, you know, and, uh, and, and it really puts everything in perspective. It makes you realize that all your superheroes are just human beings, you know? Yeah, That's it, man. And that's why the, I mean, it's a nice segue, you know, that's why the Roman Reigns thing, as I've said on sort of what culture videos is every time what Roman Reigns comes out now, I always have that thing in the back of my head, which I did mostly anyway, but I always have that thing in the back of my head where I'm like, eh, it's just wrestling. Like, you know, yeah. let, let's take the story that this guy has put out there and let's focus on that because, and, you know, human beings should do this. That, you know, if you're not going through those struggles, nine times out of ten, you should act like, you shouldn't think about it because you'd just be down all the time and you have to try and live your life moment to moment. But at the same time, you've got to make sure you free up the time to ensure you understand what other people are going through and do whatever you can to make it easier for them. And I think Roman Reigns is a great, is, is the perfect example of that because you can just enjoy him as a wrestler and whatever feud he's going to be in, but also you can have that moment where you go, holy shit, man, this guy, he's gone through one of the hardest things you could possibly go through. And now look, he's, he's back on top of the world. It's amazing. It genuinely is incredible. Yeah. And the fact that he just looks like nothing happened and that he's, you know, got all the energy he used to have is, is really inspiring. And it, it's it's obviously like super mega cosmic that I was going through my I was going through my second bout with lymphoma when and I was like sick as a dog when I literally like turned raw on and he was announcing, you know, like, hey, my name's Joe. It's not Roman, you know, and all that that whole monologue that I'm sure you remember. Um, I, I just I, it, it was honestly um, I never want to see any of my superheroes suffer or anything, but it was such a such a moment of intimacy and such a perfect timing for me. And it gave me like a lot of, a lot of crazy strength. So yeah, it was a, it was a really amazing moment, honestly. Well, I think I honestly, man, stuff like that is inspiring because no one knows how they're going to react when they go through something of that ilk. You just can't like, it's so, you know, it's why people when they, when they're in their car and they think to themselves, well, I'll never be in a car crash. Cause that's what you have to think as a human yeah. being. So to think that you've gone through it twice, which also, like you say, you know, maps up to what Roman Reigns had to go through is you're right. It's crazy. It blows my mind. So you must've just been like, you know, un- un- unbelievable. And obviously yeah, you know, I- you've come out the other side of it now as well. Right. So yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm almost a year, well, about eight months in remission now. Wow, that's incredible, man. And that's the best possible news as well. Like, you know, 
I know we don't know each other personally, but you've been very kind to me. You've reached out. We had have conversations. So yeah. it's just awesome to, 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 to hear stuff like that. And the, the fact that you, you're taking your experiences and you're pushing it back into to music I also think mm-hmm. that's amazing as well because passion and doing those things that just make sense within your gut really are the most important things in the world. Yeah, we're actually, you know, it's funny. I, I, I don't know what it was about about Roman getting on on Raw, you know, on on international television and talking about leukemia and just being like, you know, Joe and and all this kind of stuff. But that's what actually inspired me. I'm I'm going to put on a uh, a benefit show with my band to raise money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. And it was, it was actually that moment that I realized I'm going to do this. I'm going to put this on. It's going to be my, my biggest show of the year. Um, it's at a club called bottom of the hill in San Francisco. It's on Saturday, October 26th. And I'm, you know, I'm just going to go crazy with publicity on it and try to raise all the money I can. And that, that it was that moment when he was talking about it on raw that I was like, Oh my God, you know, I, you don't have to be, a celebrity to suffer and we're all human beings and you know we're all connected in this way and uh if you're not if you're not putting back out what you know whatever you've been suffering with if you don't put that back out and turn it into positivity and put turn it into change in the world then you know like what are we even doing on this crazy blue globe you know hell yeah brother i mean i couldn't have said it better myself look let's use it as a transition as well because yeah. i do think it's an important conversation what was your and there is no wrong or right answer here this isn't me trying to goad you into something and go, Haha! but what you know what was your opinion of roman reigns before all of this because the people i kind of respected the most were those who said look roman reigns ain't my guy but who cares about that the ones that i disrespected the most are the ones that were like yes well i still i may never have liked the roman reigns characters like bro you don't need that get rid of that bit <laughs> that bit is absolutely irrelevant to this conversation um but yeah, genuinely just out of interest because real life situations even ones that aren't as have as much gravity as this can change the way you feel about that we'll call them fictional characters because you know the matt hardy one is something that comes to mind to me I was always a big Matt Hardy guy, but when everything happened with that love triangle where he got cheated on by his, by Lita and with his best friend, I mean, you know, I, 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 um, you know, I empathize with it cause I had been cheated on myself. So that's the, why I never, it wasn't with my best friend, but the point is after that, Matt Hardy has always been my guy for something that didn't even happen within the realms of entertainment. So I guess the thing that I'm intrigued about is obviously Roman Reigns has become such an inspiration for so many, but before that he was this controversial character that got booed. It was a crazy, it was a crazy transformation. So I'm just intrigued what yeah. that was like for you. You know, it's it's really interesting. I I always was was a lot softer on Roman Reigns than I think most fans were. I I thought you know he was obviously like not the the charismatic sort of rock character. He was never going to be uh, hilarious or like supremely entertaining on the mic. Um, I never thought he was supposed to be sort of like the number one guy and get like a you know a half an hour of the ninety minute or one hundred eighty minute or whatever we're up to raw time. Um, but I, I, you know, I did think that he was a a solid wrestler. I did think obviously he was always in tremendous shape. He was, uh, basically charismatic. He, he looked great next to, to, you know, Dean and Seth, obviously, I mean, all that stuff. I I don't think anybody thinks that his time in the shield was bad. Um, I, I think it's just one of those cases that, you know, you've talked about it a million times on the internet. You've talked about it in this podcast. It's on what culture all the time that, you know, WWE doesn't always doesn't always write super well and doesn't always know what to do with some of their top guys. And I think uh, 
Roman has suffered from a combination of bad writing and then just also maybe not being the most natural guy at memorized lines and having sort of a, a point to get through while he, while he's in the ring. I don't think he's, he always, uh, transition stories from A to B to C. Um, I think he, he obviously in the real world, when you see, you know, videos of him and when he's like volunteering and he does a lot of charity work with WWE, I always feel like that's the moments when Roman looks the most authentic and the most natural. He's when he's unscripted and he's just sort of being who he is. Um, I just don't think he's the best actor in the world. Honestly, that that's what it comes down to give him a bunch of scripted lines, especially if the lines are not very good. And I don't think he shines. No, I think which is why it's going to be very intriguing when he stars in the new uh, Fast and Furious film that comes out in a couple of months. Yeah, well, I don't think Fast and Furious really like compels you to to act the hell out of something. It's it's more about explosions and yeah. punches. I don't. No. I don't think you need to be Robert De Niro to. Uh, no. Actually, the irony being that Robert De Niro would probably star in that film these days. He, he yeah. he'll be in anything that you want. So, uh, right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, dude, that is. I would say that's probably the most intellectual and well-rounded take on Roman Reigns that I've heard. Uh, I've heard so far. Um, right. Let, let's let's sp- let's spin it right back. Let's run it right back, dude. Tell me how you got into wrestling. What you liked about it. I, I imagine you probably had a break at some point because everybody takes a break. But yeah, yeah. What, what's your? Just give me a story, but background, and from there we can kind of start talking about the modern day product and how we see it. Yeah. Well, at a high level, you know, I was I was into it in college, which for me was like the late '90s, early 2000s. I think you know that was sort of that golden era of. Uh, the rock and triple H and stone cold, Steve Austin, Chris Jericho was around, you know, all the greats, um, from the, from the late nineties. And, uh, I, I had a college girlfriend who actually got me into it. And probably like a lot of people with wrestling, I was a little reluctant and thought it was silly and dumb. And I was like, nah, I, I don't really want to watch this. But then of course, the more you watch it, the more you just sort of are like, what is this crazy thing? It's kind of amazing. <laughs> um, and, uh, and then I left it behind after college. I just got busy, honestly, with career and work and music and all that stuff. Um, I really started getting back into it in sort of uh, 2014, 2015. Um, I, I learned that WrestleMania was coming to San Francisco. That was, uh, I think, 31. And uh, I went to it um, with, a, with a few friends and just had like the, the most amazing time. I had no idea what was going on because I was way, you know, like out of it. I hadn't been watching Raw. I hadn't been watching SmackDown. Um, I, I saw Seth Rollins cash in Money in the Bank. And uh, I was just like, holy crap, this, is, this stuff is really good. Like, why did I ever stop watching this? And, uh, and then I was hooked again and I've been watching it ever since. And then obviously I got sick with cancer and when you're sick with cancer, boy, do you ever have a lot of free time on your hands? So, uh, yeah, lot, lots of, lots of hours of watching raw and, and watching a little bit of independent wrestling and, and yeah, and just, uh, catching up to the storyline kind of 2015 onward, basically when, uh, I think that was when the authority was, you know, doing all that stuff and Seth was a bad guy and, you know, yada, yada, yada. Uh, so how how do I phrase this properly? So, what do you remember the last thing you saw before you stopped watching? Oh man! Oh, the era. You know, do you remember the era? Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, so I don't remember what was going on, but there was a there was there was a particular. I think it was a RAW that I went to, and it was in Maryland, which is where I was going to college. And uh, Triple H had been gone for a while, but he wasn't yet in this kind of mode that he's in now where he's a part-timer. Um, I, th- I want to say he was injured and he was supposed to come back and uh, it pissed everybody off because this whole live taping of Raw, 
he never did. And they kept teasing it the whole time, which thank God they don't really do this anymore. But it, <laughs> it seemed like in the 90s, they used to do that a lot where they would say like, they would say like, oh, you know, they, they release on the news like Triple H is, you know, recovered and may come back anytime. Whoa, when's it going to happen? And, uh, and, and so you go to these tapings and, you know, you wait basically two hours or whatever it is for your man. And, you know, my, my college girlfriend was like a huge triple H man. And she, she had a, she had a total crush on him. And, you know, basically, uh, what do they call that thing where you like, you know, you get one, uh, celebrity you're allowed to have sex with, you know, in a relationship, uh, yeah, the, the list thing. Uh... Yeah. So she, so hers was triple H. And, uh, so we waited the whole time we were sitting in the stands waiting for triple H to come back. And I think they did a thing at the end where they, they paused really dramatically and like one of the other big guys was in the ring like The Rock or Stone Cold or somebody and uh, and then just nothing happened and it went dark and everybody just went, oh, and got really upset and that was it. And, you know, gosh, I wish I knew more about what was going on then. It's hard to remember because it's so many years ago. Oh, of but, course, uh, man. Yeah. And then so when you say you came back, you came back in 2014 or you left in 2014. No, I, I left in like sort of the late 90s, early 2000s. Oh, sorry. Came- I got confused. Right? I got, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I came back in 14. When I came back, obviously, you know, uh, a, a bunch of like 2000 difference between like 2001 and 2014 was incredibly dramatic. And, you know, that's why I, I have a lot of sympathy when you when you and the what culture guys talk about sort of how the, the writing is decayed and they're not using the characters as well, because it really like for me, that gap between 01 and 2014, um, things had changed so much, like the quality had like. I mean, the, the guys themselves are amazing, right? And they're in the best shape, like, of any wrestlers I've ever seen. And, and the actual matches sometimes are, like, incredible. But, but yeah, the, the character work uh, is, is not what it was. What do you do? Let, let, let's just start there. It's a conversation we have all the time. But the, the fact that you're able to pick up on that in a, in a sort of a 15-year gap or whatever you want to call it, 13-year gap, is, is staggering. Because in 2014, things weren't – I mean, 2014 is a fascinating year because that's when CM Punk leaves the company and he'd obviously been in a, a huge uh, catalyst for getting people back involved. And it's really – I mean, 2014 is really the start of Roman Reigns' time, talking – you know, tying it into what we were talking uh, about at the start of the podcast. And that's when it was quite clear uh, what the situation was. But it was also a time when John Cena is still on top of the card. And right. I think we can look at it now and realize, okay, John Cena was never in the same mold as a Stone Cold Steve Austin or The Rock, but he was incredibly important to that company. Like, who knows where WWE would have been uh, in the, literally the period that you, that you left wrestling if it, wasn't, if it wasn't for him. So, you know, you leave with your Triple H, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, The Undertaker, still counts, huge stars. Even someone like Chris Jericho was able to get on that level eventually. So when you yep. come back in... In 2014, what is your, I mean, obviously you're not going to remember specifically now, so you can tie it into your feelings on it today, but what is it that WWE has stopped doing? Because while Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock were one in a million, they still had the machine behind them. And now we're putting the machine behind people to a certain extent, but I always feel like we have one, the, the foot is off the gas just a little bit with this idea that WWE is the brand and WWE is the sell job, which is fine, but only if it works. And I would say that right now it doesn't work. It works for WrestleMania. WrestleMania, people will flock over it all over the world. In many ways, it works for NXT. NXT people will go and see NXT because they know what to affiliate with that. I would argue that maybe now people don't know what to affiliate WWE with because there is no long-term storylines. There's no characterization. Episodes exist within their own bubbles. So you may go to WWE. WWE is the biggest fish in the yard, biggest dog in the yard, right? That's what they are. But outside yeah. of that, it doesn't really have an identity. Right. Yeah. 
No, I know. It's, it's really weird. Like I, I was thinking about WrestleMania and like, but you know, I remember going in 2015 and having just the best time and thinking like in that moment, like, Oh, the WWE is totally back and they've just redeemed everything. And some of that obviously is that when you go to see it live, you know, it's obviously just way better and you have way more fun and oh, just yeah. the G of the live crowd, like, you know, it makes you kind of crazy. And you, you always leave, even on a bad episode, you leave and you're just like, Oh my God, you know? Um, but I, I do think that part of it is that, you know, WrestleMania is not the time where they, they build a lot of characterization and have a lot of dialogue. There's not a lot of like talky moments, right? It's really more about the wrestling at that point. It's the whole year of buildup to these like epic matches that, the stories have already been told already, and this is like the grand conclusion. So what I, I think when you watch it, I, mean, I, I wouldn't be able to prove it, but I think that you know the average wrestling time at a WrestleMania show versus like another pay-per-view or just like a Raw or a SmackDown is, is a lot more, and there's a lot less talking. And so I, ironically, I think that's kind of a lot of times what WWE is doing best is when they, they their scripts get out of the way of the guys and they just put on amazing wrestling matches. The irony of that is that, you know, I feel like post AEW, post that that first pay per view that they've done, um, it seems like they're trying to distinguish themselves kind of passively from AEW by being more character oriented and doing more story and less wrestling. And th there's kind of an irony to that because I, I just don't think they're doing that very well like they did in the 90s. I don't know if it's because the 90s guys just were like better actors or if the, they just had better writers on the team or a combination of all of that. Maybe Vince McMahon wasn't as like, involved or something but but these days it just feels like when you got a a, a just an amazing uh, a, a well-rounded guy who's great on the mic and great wrestling like seth rollins for example or bray wyatt or even a, a john moxley slash dean ambrose and when he's doing a wwe thing and he's in the ring um there are moments when you're like that's the authentic guy and they're giving him like just the littlest bit of right to improvise and ad lib but then as soon as they're back on their lines and it's like the memorized stuff you get this kind of impression that their their eyes are sort of glassed over a little bit and they're just like a little reluctant to be even saying what they're saying um i don't know maybe it's just like maybe i'm just imagining it but it just that's the difference i feel between now and then no, you're right, dude. You're right. The, the one that we talked about this on Friday, but the one thing that WWE really should look into, stop doing, is the WWE playbook. If the WWE yeah. playbook doesn't work anymore, like I remember that quote from Triple H that really did spark something off the internet when he said, when we bring guys in, we want them to learn our playbook. And if that works, it works. You know, like, you can't argue with success. Like so many, like all out, right? We're going to talk about all out in a second, but I'll just throw it in there now. All Out is, is selling out as we talked. You know, I had a quick look because I wanted to talk about it. It's selling out. I, I went online to see what the ticket thing was, and I was in the queue. I was number 57,000. So All Out is sold out, right? So even if you think All Elite Wrestling is doing a terrible job, well, the problem is it's, it's working. And if something's working, it's like Joey Ryan. You know, Joey Ryan has all his penis stuff, and people go, oh, it's crap. Well, he sells tickets, and people go crazy when he does it. Therefore, it is working. And really, that's all wrestling is. So if WWE could introduce this playbook, so to speak, and it worked, and when you tuned in, you didn't really care that most matches felt the same, and it has worked in the past, I'd be like, awesome. But I think the wrestling world has changed so much, and you mentioned about how the guys are more athletically talented than they ever have been. 
I don't, I don't think it works with that. I think, you know, if you're not going to allow them... To, the prob- I think the problem is they need to be creatively free in at least one of your two areas, be that characterization or matches. And right now we're micromanaging them to the point that you can't do either of that. So much as, you know, Dean Ambrose slash John Moxley said in his interviews, what do you want me to do? You know, why Why am I even here? Because all you do is hand me a piece of paper and let me know what the deal is. So I'm not able to stamp any of my any of my personality onto this. And look what's happening. I mean, look, you know, all elite wrestling, I know people go, oh, fanboy. I'm a fanboy of wrestling. Right? That's what I love first and foremost. But within two shows, I understand Chris Jericho's new character. I understand um, uh, John Moxley, Cody Rhodes. You know, somebody I would say that could still... Uh, evolve a little bit is Kenny Omega but again I think that's part of the plan he's almost taken a back seat which is pretty cool yeah but can you ever see a point where Vince McMahon you know loosens those reins because I mean people say oh it'll never happen but something's got to happen something's got to change because you know every person you know if nothing else the litmus test that I have is people that come on this podcast and they all say the same things as we're doing right now yeah I know I Sometimes I think like maybe it's it's just that yeah like um, loosening the reins is a good way to describe it. I think that um, you know everybody says like it's it's Vince's fault. It's Vince's fault. I, I have no idea. I have no insight into that. I guess you know all the commentators are saying that they they have all this insider knowledge that he 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 clutches the WWE product really tightly and makes last minute changes and all this kind of stuff. So I guess it's Vince, but whatever entity it is that that causes the WWE wrestlers to be very restrained and be very scripted and be very like kind of on message and and have this kind of memorized sequence um, versus like AEW, which just seemed very organic and very natural. Um, I, I'm sure there's writing there and I'm sure there's scripts, but you know, when 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 a Cody Rhodes or a John Moxley or a Chris Jericho came out and did their thing, uh, there was just an organic feel to it. There was a feel like you're getting at least 25 percent or more of the actual guy and not so much the character as much. Um, and I, I have to assume if they could find a way to do that again um, and, and just push Vince just like 25 percent out of the way or something that that would benefit it. I, I also just think there's these mo- you see these glimmers of um uh, you, you know, it's funny. I know that some people don't like it and some people really love it, but this 24-7 title thing. Oh, I love it. Uh, I, I think it's great. And uh, one of the reasons why I really like it is it feels like there's so much chaos going on and there's so many people in there. There's so many different characters at once, you know, our truth being chased around the, the room and, and backstage and like ending up trapped in an elevator. You know, that elevator scene, I, I had this moment where I'm like, this is funny and I'm enjoying watching this. And I think the reason is that it's almost impossible for them to, to hold the reins that tightly on this. There's so many people in this tiny little room and they're all kind of riffing off each other. And I'm sure there's a, like an overview script to it, but it's not like every word is, is mapped out as precisely as like a monologue in the ring or something. And so it has that organic, natural feel to it. And of course, they've got some of their best you know, comedians in there. They've got R-Truth, who's just, you know, as you've talked about, fantastic. And I, I think even Carmella, when she's allowed to just sort of be funny and goofy, you know, it's, she's at her best. And so the whole thing just feels like just enough improvised that it doesn't feel like WWE anymore. It starts to f- have that that organic AEW feel to it. 
that dude hell yeah and i can't the thing that baffles me these days is like i said tying into you know a few minutes ago if something's working you can you know stand up and, and puff your chest out as much as, as you want but when things aren't working you don't change it that's when i get confused and obviously the top yeah. guys get to have a little bit of fun like i think that seth rollins for example i think you know probably can can get away with it roman reigns obviously and, and undertaker when he does his thing um let, let given i know people get a bit bored of us talking about it but look i'm tying into the news right now you know, all, genuinely, it's pretty much sold out. So tickets went on sale 23 minutes ago. All out is sold out. I, I'm trying to keep an eye on it as talk. Uh, that's ridiculous. And I think it also, you know, you can be a naysayer all you want. That's fine. Like, good for you. But that sounded sarcastic. I'm being serious. You can crap on it all you want. But it's, it gets to a certain point where the evidence is there. If we call yeah. All In and All Elite Show, and I know it wasn't really, but it's three for three selling out 10,000 plus seater building. And also, like I said, I was basically 60,000th in the queue. I think the Sears Center holds about 11 and a half. So they could have sold that place over six times over. I know it doesn't work like that, but that is the kind of statistics we can throw out there. Just... I want AEW to succeed. I want WWE to succeed. I want MLW to succeed. I want ROH to succeed. Anyone that's in the wrestling business, I want to succeed because I don't understand the the thought process of why you wouldn't. But how again? It's beforehand. I could understand WWE being complacent because you can be complacent when you're making loads of money and you're the only you know the only place to go. That's just how it works. And I know the money's not going to change for a while. But they know, they're seeing stuff like this. You know, they're seeing, I think the last time WWE Chicago, I don't think they did sell out where they were, or at least one of the buildings that All, All Elite have run. What do you actually think this means, though? Because somebody asked me, I don't this is a cheap plug, you'll have to forgive me. Somebody asked me a really good question on my Patreon Q&As that we did, where they were like, it's all great and I love AEW and I'm really excited, but do you think when they go weekly television, we may actually see that WWE is hamstrung by certain things that comes along with television. So, I mean, basically, yeah, what, what's your, wh- where does AEW go from here and what do you expect for it to happen? I don't know. You know, I'm really holding my breath for the, for the televised version of AEW. I, I have no idea whether they can maintain the quality. I have no idea, like, what Cody's plan is for it. Um, I feel like anything could happen, which is, of course, really exciting and awesome, honestly, um, just knowing that things are going to change so much one way or another. Um, I, I do think that AEW is on fire right now. I think that WWE has, and you've talked about this before also in the past, like it's always benefited from healthy competition. It was at its best when it was competing with WCW and not the fake way where they bought WCW and had like a quote war unquote, but you know, <laughs> the golden era, the Monday night wars and all that stuff. Um, they, they, they benefited from that. It made them step up. I think it, it made them, I think some of the, the slothfulness, some of the laziness in the writing is just because there is no competition and because they, they care more about, you know, the, the one Saudi Arabia show that earns them like a bajillion dollars from Prince, whatever his name is. And, and that means more to them than the weekly, the weekly television show. And there was a time when, the weekly television show like Raw was everything. And part of the reason it was everything is because they were just viciously in competition with WCW. And, and, and man, if you know, the people that didn't benefit the most from that were, were, were the fans, you know? And so I think if, if AEW can put on consistently good product the way they have with the pay-per-views on, on a TV basis um, and be a real competitor, 
it can only benefit both both products. And I, I feel like the guys that are in charge of AEW seem to know that intuitively that the kind of the kind of winky face, you know, um, interviews they have where they they almost talk about the WWE, but not directly, you know, and they just say these things like, well, we're just trying to put on the best product we can. We're not competing directly with anybody. It's like, of course, you, you, you know, you're competing directly with with the WWE, whether you say it or not. Um, and I think, uh, you know, if they, if they can, if they can keep up rigorous competition and look at each other's product and, and try to do things that the other guy isn't doing and be sort of the, the Mario to their Luigi and just, you know, what, what can they do differently and what spaces can they occupy? It, it can only net benefit the fans. I just, I, I have to think so. Which is really interesting as well, because the dynamic, I'm not saying people haven't realized it, but one that sort of stands out to me is when um, Double or Nothing's price was announced, everyone was like, what, $50 and so on and so forth. I'm like, yeah, that's what pay-per-views used to cost. But we yeah. have now, uh, you know, we've now got used to that. Uh, sorry, unused to it because of the WWE Network. And I always say we should absolutely applaud the WWE Network. The WWE Network is amazing. The WWE Network is cheap. And the WWE Network in many ways should probably be more expensive than it is. I know that sounds ridiculous. But again, look what it did to us all. It, 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 it reduced the bar so much. It's impossible to think that a pay-per-view would ever cost that much. And WWE used to have 12, uh, you know, to tie, to tie that in. It sounds like AEW are only going to have four a month, but, uh, for a year. But... The benefit of that is, is what you've just said, if they do come up with a compelling TV product, which, like you say, used to be the the, the meat and potatoes of wrestling, where you tuned in to build your storylines, and then you pay them off at the pay-per-view, WWE don't do that anymore, because that's not where the money is. Essentially, pay-per-views are there to increase watch time. It's like a YouTube channel. That's what they're there for, and then we kind of skulk around Raw and SmackDown, and we have events, like you say, to, to make cash. The genius, and I, well, not the genius, but I think the real benefit of going old school with this is that you can build like that especially if you only have four pay-per-views a year you you know if you build to it and you genuinely hook people into the point they are desperate to see something they'll pay fifty dollars because that's the point like that they do we've seen it happen before and there's no way that it that it won't happen again so that's i actually think honestly i say this all the time not from a a fan point of view but from a, when i put my business head on wrestlemania should well, really wrestlemania survivor series raw rumble and uh, SummerSlam should never have been on the on the wwe network they just shouldn't they should have been kept away from it they should have been kept feeling special so that wwe knew again i think it actually does work from a fan point of view even though it would cost us more money wwe then know four times a year man we gotta have good tv otherwise we're not going to get a buy rate and i understand that people thought pay-per-view were dying and wwe was just way ahead of the game and again 10 years down the line we may go well done wwe you smashed it you got involved in that in that subscription service way early and now you've protected yourself but talking about it right now i think it's a detriment and i think it's a detriment to raw because we're building the stomper grounds in two weeks but because we had the capability to smash a saudi arabia pay-per-view in there as well it's like well we don't need to do anything for a while which is true we don't we don't right well and wasn't it isn't isn't just uh what is it stomping grounds isn't that just like super showdown again basically like i I haven't looked at the card recently, but it, it sort of just looks like they did the same pay-per-view twice and maybe even we'll have the same outcomes. I don't know. Like nothing happened at, 
at Super Showdown, like, you know, titles didn't change hands. Like, we don't remember anything about that, like, five days later. <laughs> oh, no, nothing happened, man. It's all, it, was a, it was a house show. Well, I, yeah. I, I just can't get over the fact that WWE would then run all the same matches two weeks later at Stomping Ground. Especially when they're, they're pitching. Cause I understand marketing, I get it. But still, when you do it back-to-back, you, you raise my eyebrow a little bit. You know, when you have, oh, this show's going to be better than WrestleMania, and it's not. And then you've got, oh my gosh, the brand new pay-per-view Stomping Grounds, and it's just another pay-per-view. You're like, yeah. well, what, <laughs> what is the point of any of this? You know, there is always the law of diminishing returns. And that's, you've already started to see that happen on Raw and SmackDown. Down. What do you think of the quality of Raw and SmackDown at the moment? Because the thing I'm trying to get across to everybody now, and nobody understands it, is that Raw and SmackDown are not great. They are really not. However, I still enjoy it, and people can't seem to understand that. But I take great joy out of watching bad segments and then getting to laugh about them. Now, that's not good. That's not a positive, but it still means when I walk away, I'm like, well, I had a good time for the wrong reasons, but I had a good time. That doesn't mean I don't want it to get better. Of course I do. But it also means I'm not particularly overly negative about WWE. I just don't understand it. I can't understand why things come and go every week. I can't understand why they seemingly forget what we had done seven days ago. It, it just, I mean, it, it just it baffles me, if nothing else. But yeah, what do you think of yeah. the quality of, of 2019 television? You know, it's funny. It's like <laughs> I watch your ups and downs, and I, I see you go through this kind of uh, this kind of emotional roller coaster where you're like you're so happy about one particular thing, and then get so frustrated. And it, it occurs to me that in in a weird kind of way, WWE is in this space where the the weekly television is so good and then so bad in such a short space of time. Just back to back segments that have these like wildly divergent levels of quality. Yeah, and. Uh, and and it's astounding. Like you can go from uh, a moment with uh, God, like what's the best crap on there? I mean Bray Wyatt, right? Like the the Firefly Funhouse stuff, which is just so amazing and so entertaining. And like obviously the the writing is just complete. It's just like totally different guys writing it. It's like Bray Wyatt and his people or whatever. They're giving them all this license. The acting is incredible. Um, I get that it's it's pre kind of recorded. And so they benefit from obviously being able to sort of film it really well and, and do it in advance. But but then you go from that to some kind of, uh, you know, Shane McMahon segment or, or something with him, you know, being for some reason, a bigger heel than, than real heels like Drew McIntyre and Baron Corbett <laughs> and all these guys. And, and you're just like, what happened in literally the space of five minutes um, if you graft it, like line graph that quality, it's just like a plummet, you know, from the top. And, uh, and, and, and so it's, it's almost nauseating the roller coaster that you're on of good and bad. Um, you, you just never know. I, you, if nothing else, I will say it's very surprising. Like you turn into, you tune into Raw or SmackDown and you just really don't know what you're going to get. It's, it's, a, it's a total surprise. It could be, it could be just surprisingly great for at least 10 or 15 minutes, uh, and then it could just be crap for like a half an hour straight. <laughs> it's true. What You mentioned Bray Wyatt. What, I've, 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 I've made up my mind what I want them to do with him, but before I bring it up, what, book Bray Wyatt's in-ring or on-camera proper return for me. What do you want oh. to see him do? Yeah, it can be anything. It can be absolutely anything you want. Well, I, I mean, obviously, like, the, the most the most predictable thing that would happen is that he just is crazy. Like, you know, they make him just the most monster heel possible and just put him on a tear, like, you know, rampage style through, through the, hopefully the top guys. Cause I, I, I think he's a great wrestler and I think he deserves to be at the top. Um, if that's not what happens, I have, 
I can't even imagine what I guess that's one of the appeals of the whole series of, you know, Firefly Funhouse segments is that it really does leave you like kind of on the edge of your seat. And I just don't I don't have any idea where they're going with it. I, I will say like my one criticism about it is I do wish that they would finally get him off the the, the pre-televised, you know, the pre-recorded stuff and like get him out of the funhouse and show us what you're actually going to do in the ring. Um, I, I do think that they've gone on a little long. Uh, every week I'm kind of like, I hope this is the week that Bray Wyatt actually like ends up in the ring or ends up live. And then they show me another Firefly Funhouse and it is kind of amazing. And I'm kind of like, all right, all right. That was pretty great. Like they get one more. Um, but eventually I, I, I assume I'm going to start to get a little bit bored seeing him kind of uh, behind the scenes and doing this, this, this pre-scripted stuff. Um, but God, yeah, like I just, it's, that's one of the hardest things for me to predict is what are they going to do with this guy when he's actually, uh, you know, in the ring with other wrestlers. And when he's a wrestler again, he's probably going to be the crazy clown. I assume he's going to come in looking terrifying with that, that mask. And, uh, but, but what is that, you know, like, like what next? And I, I'm just, I'm crossing my fingers and praying that the, the organic nature of it and the really supreme writing that's going on in the Firefly Funhouse is going to carry over to the ring and that it doesn't, it doesn't decay and become like just another average WWE product. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's my thing. I think the biggest change we could see when he finally does turn up for TV is he comes in. I don't care. You pick whoever you want. You pick Seth Rollins, you pick Kofi Kingston and he wins. That's what I want. And he wins the title. And every time I say this, I get, I got it with Oscar a lot when she got called up. Miller, you can't do that. You got to build her up. No, we don't. No, we don't. That's what we've been doing for years. Screw all of that. Let's go back to Bill Goldberg tactics. Bill Goldberg works. If Ray White walks out, uh, say on a on a SmackDown, let's book him against Kofi Kingston. Although <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. He and, and it's a, a four weeks before SummerSlam attacks Kofi Kingston, has a match against him, and wins the WWE Championship at SummerSlam, and then holds on to it to WrestleMania. He is completely rehabbed. Obviously, depending on what you do with him within that time, but let's say they treat him strong, and you know they uh, they they follow up on that. That instantly not only does it cement his character not only does it do the exact opposite of what we did before in the sense he now feels like a threat and you're like oh my gosh Bray Wyatt and you know you could like you say maybe maybe we don't even see the fiend until he comes out of SummerSlam it's a bit like a Finn Balor demon kind of a thing but one that actually happens I I I think that would be the best way to do it we're not mucking around we know who Bray Wyatt is he has fan support there's not going to be a backlash of oh you pushed him too much no he's established But everyone goes, oh, he should come in and beat Lars Sullivan. Oh, he should come in and beat Bobby Lashley. No, don't put him anywhere near those guys because it's not their fault. They've been ruined. They've been ruined. They're just other guys already because they weren't able to have that kind of a, a kind of a push. And if anything, we need to look at the situation that we've got. We need something exciting. We need something different. Everybody, as I talk to each and every week on this podcast, is behind Bray Wyatt. So let's just make him the champion because why the hell Thanks. not? Yeah, I, I really hope that WWE is reading the fans right now and that they're aware of how how crazy awesome this this Firefly Funhouse stuff really is. And I, I hope they use that as like kind of a wake up moment where they're like, oh, we have we have actually like succeeded in doing what we've had so much trouble doing in the last couple of years, which is we've made a star. We've we've remolded Bray Wyatt into something really epic. And and don't for God's sake, don't mid card the guy, you know, don't mid card him. Yeah. No, dude, absolutely, because it's, it's the worst thing that you could possibly do. You have something, use it. That's my thing. Let, let's use it. Let's, let, you know, let, let's, stay, let's stay on top of this. 
Um, also, as we're talking, as it's done, AEW is sold out. <laughs> it, 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 it took 15 minutes. Um, where, where does this end, man? Forget all the TV stuff. Where, where does this end? Are we actually going, are we actually, do we have a company that's just going to sell out big events over and over again? Because that, it has, it has to stop sometime, surely. I mean, let's be let's be Simon Miller positive and just say that they'll they'll go for a while uh, and just be amazing and they'll have a blaze of glory. It'll probably simmer down after people get used to it. If they have a TV product, obviously it's not always going to be epically amazing. Um, there's going to be days when they're they're going to be as yeah, of course, going to be sort of WWE crappy. But long term, healthy competition, right? Great WWE gets better. AEW remains, you know, consistently solid. Maybe not always like epically amazing like they are now, um, but they've had like what, like two episodes. So, you know, so far, great. And 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 th- maybe there's a world, you know, 2021, where we are just enjoying the hell out of both products, and life is better, and wrestling's better, and you know, I- I'd like to think that's where it's going. Me too, man. I, I think that's the, that's the best destination. Uh, for us all and the, the thing that always makes me laugh when it comes to this happened the other day i said oh i bet all elite wrestling sells out and someone tweeted me going yeah but they won't sell out all their events i was like bloody hell man you're fun at parties aren't you like why, <laughs> why are you naysaying it already let's just see what happens you know let's just see what happens but yeah that absolutely cracked me up it was just like man this uh this is a way to just poop. I hope they do great, and I hope they, i hope it lights a fire under wwe's ass i mean it must have done something because <laughs> I don't know whether you saw, apparently Stephanie McMahon gave a big speech to the NXT talent. I think it's very, um, yeah, it's very uh, important to know it was NXT talent, not main roster talent. Basically saying, don't go anywhere. This is the place to be. You know, we rank number fourth on social media. You know, a bit of a rah-rah. Like, this is where you build your brand. And again, the thing that I didn't see anybody talking about and what really struck a chord with me, like I say, is she didn't do that on Raw. She didn't do that on SmackDown. She did that on NXT. Because I think they're aware that maybe the main roster's already complacent. Like, i got to get out of here. This is ridiculous. Whereas when you're a bit young and new, and look, I get it. Work, I can still imagine how amazing must it be to get a contract through the mail and it have that WWE logo on the top. Like, it must be a dream come true. And I can completely understand the appeal. I, I don't understand this new wave of, oh, you signed for WWE, you're a moron. Are you kidding me? They're still WWE. Yeah. But at yeah. the same at the same time, when you've got Stephanie McMahon talking to your, you know, your, your young up-and-comers trying to convince them to stay, you know, <laughs> I, I think they know. They know what's going on. And now they're trying to, you know, they're trying to rally the troops, so to speak. Yeah, no, I, I have to assume that they're 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 thinking long term enough that they're like there is going to be a day when we're going to be. Uh, I I don't think that day is there yet. I mean, look, they got John Moxley, that's terrific. Chris Jericho, amazing, but it's not like they've poached like fifty percent of the WWE roster or something. I mean, Chris Jericho was basically done already. Um, John Moxley is the one great grand surprise, right? Um, but besides that, I mean, it's not like they're viciously competing for talent right now in 2019, but I'm sure that they're looking out, you know, over the horizon and they're saying like, if AEW continues and keeps selling out and does all these amazing things, there are going to be, you know, there is going to be some, some competition for talent. And of course, WWE's policy has always been get all the talent, right? Like just glom on, find every wrestler, contract them, even if we don't put them on television, keep them, you know, under contract. And that way no one else can, can wrestle for anything else worthwhile. Um, and so I think that they're probably, you know, they're, they're clutching tightly to that and they're holding onto it. And they're saying like, 
we have to invest, you know, whatever we have to do to keep every wrestler we can, every quality wrestler we can get our hands on, you know, we'll, we'll do that. That's the other thing, isn't it? Like it's, uh, the fact they're in that kind of position is mad. It's great though. It's great, mad. I love that. I love that now they've got to try and keep their talent because otherwise they, yep. they may want to leave. I mean, lots of them are signed into big contracts. I think Kevin Owens is locked in for another four years or something like that. So it's not like uh, a bunch of people are just going to, are just going to work, you know, to walk out, you know, nothing like that is going to happen because they simply, because they can't, but it's exciting times. I tell you, I'm pumped. I love the fact they sold out so quickly, uh, especially because it's the last event before they do hit TV. And that's as much of momentum as they can get to have. And it kind of, it puts stuff like Fighter Fest in perspective as well. They can do whatever they want there. That could just be an event. It could be a house show. And it's, it, it's these big pay-per-views that, um, that are important. But yeah, that, that's what I, I want. You know, on the one end, you've got this social media savvy, fan-friendly company that everybody loves. And on the other, you've got Stephanie McMahon telling wrestlers, please don't leave. I mean, imagine I told you that even a year ago. Even a year ago, you think I was nuts. You think it I was crazy. Shocking. Yeah. Yeah, no, it seems really shocking. I mean, they, they get paid well. They, they, it's a, you know, they get contracted for years and years. It's, it's the dream, right? It's the wrestler's dream. So you watch those movies like the, the movie about Paige and, you know, you, you, you realize how really, really critically important it is in a wrestler's career to get this, you know, top of the line company, the, the big mama company, you know, calling you on the phone and saying like, you are a wrestler for us now. I mean, who who wouldn't feel extraordinarily lucky and extraordinarily blessed to have that? And you know, I, I get it when when uh, when Dean Ambrose you know comes on uh, all these interviews and talks about how how shitty it was at the end. Like I totally get that. But you know, people like to to hype up how angry he kind of seems at the WWE and how how crappy it was for him at the end. But I think they miss the the sort of underlying. You know, he he introduces a lot of these interviews by saying, you know, I'm, I'm a lucky person. Like I have had a lot of good years of wrestling. Um, things have been really good for me and I am not just here to sit and blast the WWE and make fun of it and talk about how terrible it is. That said, here's some stories, especially about my last couple years, you know, that illuminate that it's not what it, what it once was, but you know, bottom line, I'm not just doing this to trash talk the WWE and try and tear it down. Like, you know, my motivation is just to be the best wrestler I can be. And that, and that's what anyone's trying to do. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's all wrestling is, right? That's all yeah. wrestling is really. It's just a business. And yet you yeah. just, you know, you just have to have a very passionate fan base around it, which kind of adds all this uh, atmosphere I go with, you know, it, 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 people just go crazy about it, which is good. Like, it's great. Like, you know, that's half the reason you're able to sell out, you know, something like the Sears Center so quickly because you do have these passionate fans, but it does go both ways. Like to me, I can't, I'm already seeing it now on social media. Ah, oh, you know, fuck stomping grounds and death to WWE. No, 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 no. That's not the way, you know, that that's not the way to go. Like it's when people say, oh, WWE should be more like New Japan. No, I've got New Japan. I don't need, yeah. I don't need, I, I tell you what I don't need. I don't need a WWE version of New Japan. That's 100% what I don't need. You know, I, I'd be awful. I, what, yeah. I, what I want is the best version of WWE. And I think the frustrations comes from that we don't have that at the moment. And we very well could. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the, I think one of the reasons why people, you know, AEW is, is such a, a fresh product. There's no past AEW to compare it to. But WWE has been around for God all, you know, forever, right? Like the whole 20th century. Yeah. And, um, you know, and as a result, there's, there's a lot of footage to look back on, you know, 
you can get on the WWE network and watch anything you want from the 80s, from the 90s, from the early 2000s. So there's so much to compare to. The bar is so high and we know what the product can potentially be in terms of quality because we've literally seen them do it. We've seen the same people that are in charge now, the, the Triple H's and the Vince McMahon's, put on a better show. And we know they're capable of it. Like the talent is there. The, the writing talent is there. The producing talent, the wrestlers, obviously, no question, are just the best they've ever been. I mean, God, in some ways, you know, I can't admit, you know, I think one of the reasons people get in, you know, on video games and they, they play like dream matches between, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin and somebody modern like a Bray Wyatt or a Seth Rollins is because they, they know that like, it would have been epic to have Seth in the in the Attitude Era. I mean, can you even imagine, you know, how amazing he would have been? Yeah. Uh, you mentioned dream matches. Let's end on this. Goldberg versus The Undertaker. This is probably this is probably the last podcast I'll talk about it, but it's come up naturally. Just yeah. you know, you, you you left in the early two thousands when those two were probably at the peak of their powers in many ways. You could probably argue that with both, but you know, around that time, certainly not in the same state as they are now. Yeah, like what is? Uh, give me a take. I think I know, but give me a take. You know, I don't want to see Goldberg bleeding out for five minutes. <laughs> I don't want to see it. Uh, you know, it's not because I hate blood. You know, the 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 Rhodes, Cody, and Dustin, uh, that was epic, right? But uh, this this was just the, these guys. So first of all, don't have them wrestle in a hundred degree heat. I don't know what the heck they were thinking there. Um, I know and, it's you crazy, know, isn't it? When I, you think I, about it. Yeah, and I, mean, I get there's only so many places they can wrestle out there, and maybe that's their big arena. I don't know anything about Saudi Arabia, but um, ultimately, like hundred degree weather aside, those those guys are just. I, I don't like it when they trot out the old guys that are just a, a little bit past the point where they really ought to be wrestling. And I have no problem if a, if a, if a, a 55-year-old, a 65-year-old, even a 75-year-old is wrestling and they look good doing it. And it's obvious that they're just not done physically. It's not the age by itself, but it's when you can tell that these guys really just aren't they just shouldn't be doing this anymore. And, you know, this this match, Goldberg Undertaker, was not the first Undertaker match by any stretch where, you know, we've watched in the last couple of years and we've just seen that he's he's just slower and, and you know, God, God help him, he's a, he's a legend, but just... I don't want this to be the way he goes out, you know. I, I don't I don't want to see it. It's it makes me cringe. It makes me sad. Um, it makes me feel like there's there's just a money grab. It illuminates everything that's wrong with the Saudi Arabia thing. Um, and, uh, and yeah, God, I, you know, I I, I don't want to be a negative Nancy about it, but like I just <laughs> I don't want to see them wrestle anymore. I don't. They're they were amazing guys. They they're they are amazing guys and let them retire. They're both obviously wealthy beyond belief. They, they have families, all these things. Just let them get on with their lives. Yeah. No, I think that match, especially for me was, you know, it's, it, it just wasn't fun to watch in any, in any sense. I mean, even, even though the, the first bit was uh, enjoyable, it's where it, it, it actually goes against what I usually say. Like, I don't think you can destroy, it's not the same thing, but I tie it into the legacy thing. I don't think anybody can destroy their legacy once it's been built up, unless you do something, you know, morally irrehensible. That's different. But, you know, Goldberg and The Undertaker will always be Goldberg and The Undertaker to me now, no matter what they do. But in terms of that individual match, you know, I. Uh, you know, I, I it will always feel the second half was so bad. There's just no way I could enjoy the first. You know, that's how much it, it just fell apart. 
Because at one point I was like, yeah, this is all right. It, it was done. And then it was more like, this is awful. People are being dropped on their heads. I'm genuinely scared about these people's safety. You know, these are two legends that <laughs> I grew up But these are two legends I grew up watching. You know, yeah. just it's just nothing that I ever want to see see in pro wrestling. No, and it might have almost been better if they were just bad right from the beginning, you know. But the problem is, right, that they, they have Goldberg walking, you know, in the back and doing his whole thing with the music. And he looks so – it's him, right? I mean, he's in – he looks like he's in tremendous shape. The, there's just like an incredible confidence that radiates out from the guy. He's yeah. always been the best. He, he looks great on camera. Just, just so, so much, uh, so much swagger. And uh, and Undertaker, obviously, you know these long dramatic, uh, you know rollouts where he walks slowly. I mean, the whole thing is just so you feel tense, you feel excited, you feel pumped, and to go from that and even a couple of good minutes of wrestling to this dramatic slide down where it's like, oh god, uh oh, I went from my superheroes duking it out to worrying for the safety of two older gentlemen who who need to stop um it it, it the, the crash in emotion is almost harder than if they were just bad you know across the board no it's true the, the, i think the worst the, no, the worst is not the right way but you know it was some that we, we i talked about this on the other episode we did uh <coughs> whereas the undertaker had kind of he'd done as much as he could do i always thought the goldberg probably had a few more programs he could have done and that's kind of been extinguished now too because again some things just uh yeah, you know, yeah, well, well, what can you do, right? What can yeah. you do? What can you do? What can you do? That's it. It was it, it was sad around, and I agree with you. I don't like those uh, Saudi Arabia shows, not just because of the, the morality and the, the blood money stuff, but also because it's just not fun. They're not yeah. fun to watch. At least Crown Jewel was so dumb, I can have a good time with Brock Lesnar winning the title and Shane McMahon being best of the world. If you're going to do it, be ridiculous. This one was too boring. It was too dull. Yeah, no, I agree. It la- it lacked it lacked whatever heart they had the last time they went out there. Um, it, it had just been sapped out of it. You're right. You're right. It did. Anyway, we'll see what happens. That's done. We don't have to think about it anymore. Again, uh, All Elite Wrestling's Double or Nothing. Not Double or Nothing. All Out has sold out. 15 minutes. Done. That's the big thing that happened as we were talking about it. And otherwise, there's not really much else going on. Uh, just, burn it, just burn it to stomping grounds and, and stuff like that. Also, WWE wants some new writers. So if you really think that you can uh, do a better job, you can apply. You can go to their corporate, <laughs> you can, you can go to their corporate site. And, uh, and that's that. So, yeah. Justin, man, thank you so much for joining me, dude. That was a real good hour of chat. I enjoyed it. Yeah, Simon, this has been tremendous. It's been great to talk to you. And, uh, dude, pimp out your music and your band one more time, just in case people missed it at the start. Yeah, Great Highway is the name of the band. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, uh, iTunes, Apple Music, Google, all that stuff. Uh, Facebook.com slash Take Great Highway. Uh, it's, uh, it's really fun, high-energy, dancey electronica. It's kind of a rock and roll electronic fusion stuff. We have a show on July 17th at a club called Brick and Mortar. If you happen to live in San Francisco, uh, we're putting on a big benefit show to raise money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. That's on October 26th. It's our biggest show of the year. It's at a club called Bottom of the Hill. Um, uh, we're coming out with a new album. Simon has a cameo on it. Uh, <laughs> I do. That's so cool. And, uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, and that's it. Um, uh, other than that, just like a huge pleasure to this is uh, this is meeting one of my heroes. So I'm 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 proud able to talk to you for a while that's very kind of you man and you are again from my end everything you've said both there and over message when we've been talking through the patreon means a lot to me so thank you so much and you are an inspiration and i'm glad you were able to get through everything that you went through 
Thanks, Simon. You're very Appreciate welcome. It. You're very welcome. Uh, as for me, you know all the stuff. Uh, at uh, Simon316 on Twitter and Instagram. YouTube.com forward slash the Miller Report Rules. Or search for Simon Miller. You'll see one of my wrestling picks. That's my channel. And if you do that, you can come join the wrestling podcast that we do live uh, on a Tuesday or Wednesday. And it's always fun to get people involved. So please do come along. I've got merchandise at SimonMiller.BigCartel.com. Bunch of wrestling. New stuff is going up there early next week. So keep an eye out for that. And again, it's all supported by Patreon.com forward slash Simon Miller 316. Thank you very much for listening. If you are listening to this on Sunday when it goes live, enjoy your week and I will speak to you all again very soon. Yeah.